But it is good to be here today. I am thankful uh, to have the opportunity to be with you guys this morning. And, you know, it makes it very comforting when you come into a place and you know a lot of the people and you see your friends. Um, there, anytime I get up to preach, I, I'm always a little bit intense, uh, a little bit anxious about it because I think it's a huge responsibility. And uh, it, I'm kind of like a... I'm trying to think how I want to say this exactly. You ever heard the story about two cows who are out in the pasture and uh, they're watching this milk truck goes by and on the side of the milk truck it says homogenized, pasteurized, vitamin D enriched. And one of the cows looks at the other one. He said, it kind of makes you feel a little inadequate, doesn't it? <laughs> you know, I always feel a little inadequate when I stand up to preach because I, I realize there are a lot of things in life I don't know. Uh, my kids, we were at the aquarium one time, and uh, one of my boys, I don't remember which one, but he asked me, he said, do fish ever get thirsty? And, you know, I thought, well, you know, I go swimming, I get out of the pool, sometimes I'm thirsty. I don't know about that. A couple of weeks ago, we were watching a TV show, and uh, I hate to fly. Uh, Mr. Puckett, I don't think, is in here for this service, but I know he's a pilot, and I have a son, uh, Graham, 16 years old, just did his solo right after his 16th birthday. He loves to fly. And he's always trying to convince me how safe flying is. He'll say, Dad, uh, it's the safest means of travel. I'm just not convinced of that. They don't let me in the front of the airplane. They don't let me fly the thing. It's a whole control issue. So I'm just not sure that I can, I'm completely satisfied with that. Another uh, night we were watching the show, and they were talking about all the people who were backlogged in the Atlanta airport and how they were waiting for their airplanes. And they were going through the Atlanta airport, and they were interviewing people. And you know where they were interviewing these, these people at? The terminal. Think about it. If it's so safe to fly, why do they call the place that you depart from the terminal? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. A lot of things I don't know. But let me tell you something I do know. And I can sum it up in four words. One four-word sentence. Jesus is the answer. For whatever you're going through in life, Jesus is the answer. Maybe you're walking through life and you have a, a mountain of sorrow that you're t- trying to climb. Well, I want to tell you, just just ask Elisha, just with the breath of his voice, he can rip that mountain of trouble apart. Jesus is the answer. Maybe you're going through life and you're facing a valley of despair. Talk to David, and you know what David will tell you? Yea, though, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, Lord, you are with me. Jesus is the answer. Maybe you're, uh, you're drowning in a sea of sorrows. Just ask Peter, what would Peter tell you? Well, he'll tell you that Jesus is the answer. If you just call out to the Lord, Lord, save me, he'll take that which is over your head and he'll put it under your feet. He is always the answer, always has been and always will be the answer for whatever you need in life. You know, I think that's the reason the Apostle Paul was so adamant about his faith. And why he was so dogmatic about sharing his faith is because he fully understood that concept. That wherever you are, no matter your age, no matter your circumstances, the Lord is always the answer that you're looking for. And I don't think that the the, the attitude that he had was any more evident anywhere in all of his writings than it is in the book of Romans. And I don't think there's any one verse that would exemplify it any better than Romans chapter number 1 and verse number 16. When he says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation. And just stop right there and think about that. Think about what Paul is telling us. You know, it's been said that Nietzsche, the German philosopher, he wrote to teach his people about culture. Karl Marx wrote to teach his people about revolution. 
But ladies and gentlemen, I'll tell you the Apostle Paul wrote to teach the body of Christ about revival and having revival within our hearts. And when he says, I am not ashamed, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, there's so many things that we can learn from that. Think about the personal persuasion. He begins it with, for I. Some translations will drop the word for, and it just says, I. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Now, that one-letter word, the word I, is an extremely powerful pronoun. And I'll tell you why. Because when he says I, what he does is he encapsulates everything that he has ever been. Everything that he is at that exact moment. And everything that he ever will be by saying the word I. Paul, who was born Saul in the city of Tarsus. Tarsus was a Roman colony. That meant that when Paul was born, he was born as a Roman citizen. But yet, he was born to Jewish parents. That means he had a Hebrew heritage. Paul, he was a Roman citizen. Therefore, he had all the privileges that came along with that. Yet, he was a Hebrew at heart. That means he had all the advantages of that. Paul was a man who was educated in reading, writing, and arithmetic in the greatest school system in the world at the time. But yet, he was taught religion by the greatest biblical scholars of his day. He would go to the University of Tarsus where he would get his secular education, but he would go to the feet of a teacher named Gamil where he would get his theological doctrine, and it impacted his life. This is what he would say. In the book of Acts, chapter number 23 and verse number 6, he would say that I, Paul, talking about himself, I am a Pharisee of Pharisees. Now, I don't want to spend a lot of time going into exactly what it meant to be a Pharisee, but let me tell you what he's saying with that one statement. He's saying, this old boy, Paul, was lock, stock, and barrel with these Pharisees. You know the Pharisees. You remember them, right? You've studied the Pharisees. You know those guys who were always shadowing Jesus, listening to every word he said, hoping to catch him in some kind of verbal slippage so they could criticize him. You know the Pharisees who were going along behind him, uh, putting his life under a microscope, hoping that somewhere along the way they could find some instance where he broke God's law you know the Pharisees the ones who were in Pilate's hall who were clamoring for the crucifixion of Jesus you know the Pharisees the one who were there celebrating when they drove the nails in the hands and the feet of our Lord Paul is saying that I was sold out to those guys it's safe to say that he didn't like Jesus one little bit that he was not a fan of Jesus and he was no friend of the church. Matter of fact, when you read the book of Acts, in the first six chapters, you'll find out that the church was terrified of this man. He was the original terrorist to the Christian faith. His attitude was this. Your worthless life is sucking up my valuable oxygen. But now listen to what he says. He says, I, that's the personal persuasion, am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the powerful force. What is the gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, first of all, it's God's plan of salvation, right? It's a plan that was uh, conceived in eternity. It was announced in the Garden of Eden. It was a plan that was demonstrated to Abraham when he took his son Isaac up on Mount Moriah. And God said, uh, go up there and make a sacrifice. And Isaac would say, Daddy, where's the sacrifice? And he said, God will provide. And just before he was to plunge the knife into his own boy, the angel of the Lord spoke out and said, Abraham, don't do the boy any harm. Look over there in the thicket. There's a ram. He's caught in a thicket. He is caught. He's wrapped in thorns. He's crowned with thorns. God provided a sacrifice. 
It was a, it's God's plan of salvation that was illustrated to Moses. They're going to come out of the land of bondage, the land of Egypt, and they're going to have to take the blood of the lamb and put it over the doorpost. And anybody who's coming out of Egypt, out of that bondage, out of that hardship into the promised land, they have to come underneath the blood. It's the plan that was prophesied by Isaiah when he said he was wounded for our transgressions and he's bruised for our iniquities and by his stripes we are healed. It's a plan that was announced by John the Baptist when he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's a plan that was fulfilled by Jesus and experienced by the Apostle Paul and it unequivocally changed his life. You know, if you were just going to study the life of Paul, you could go to Acts chapter 9 and in the first six verses of that one chapter, it gives us a great detailed outline of his life and what took place in his life. The first two verses talk about Paul the terror, where he's out terrorizing the Christian church. And then in verse number five and verse number six, you see Paul the terror who becomes Paul the terrorized. When he falls down upon the ground, he's blinded by the light of God. And then in verse number five and six, you also see that Paul asked the two greatest questions that anybody could ever ask. I want you to listen. The two greatest questions anybody could ever ask. Who are you, Lord? And then what do you want me to do? So Paul the terror, Paul the terrorized, and then Paul the transformed. His life was changed by the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me tell you what happened to him. He came into contact and fully experienced the sin-blasting, the soul-saving, the devil-destroying, eternity-settling blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. It changed his life forever. Now, I know that there are probably some of you here today who came to church and somewhere deep inside you realize that you need to change. There's something about your life that needs to change. You walked in the door knowing that there's something that's not quite right, and I need to change. I'll never forget several years ago, I was uh, uh, pastoring a church, and one Sunday morning I, I had given one of those sermons that just didn't go well. Uh, I know there's several guys in here who, who have preached before, and you guys know what I mean, right? I mean, you've studied, you've prayed, you, you've done everything you know to do, and you get up there to preach, and it's just a disaster. It's like pushing a car uphill with a rope. You just can't get it done. And this was one of those Sundays. It was so bad, guys, I'm telling you. And I, I looked when I came in. Y'all do have songbooks, so don't let anybody touch the songbook right now. But this was one of those services where they were not only counting the songs in the songbook while I'm preaching, but they're doing it for the second time. I mean, I'm up there thinking, I'll be glad when I'm done today. It's that bad. And then we give the invitation. And uh, I'm standing down front, and I'm just praying and asking the Lord to get me out the doors before somebody really hurts my feelings and tells me how awful it was. And, and I feel this guy touch me. He, he just kind of taps me on the arm or chest somewhere in that area. And uh, I look up, and there's this man standing in front of me. I've never met him before. And he's looking at me in the face, and, and he says, Pastor, I'm going to tell you the truth. I didn't want to be here today. I didn't want to come. I, I, I don't like you. I don't like the church. I just came because my wife's been on me forever. She just wouldn't leave me alone, and I thought I'd come today, get it over with, and I'd go back home and get back to my life. And while you're up there preaching, something happened. Somebody touched me. And I know it was the hand of the Lord that touched this guy. He said, somebody touched me. And all of a sudden, I realized that I need to change. I need something to be different. 
but I don't know how to do it. And I looked at him, and this is what I said. I said, there is just one place you need to begin. That's by experiencing the salvation that only comes by the way of the cross. Comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. God's plan of salvation, that's what Paul's talking about when he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know what I love about God's plan of salvation? It is so simple that these little children who are up here dancing and singing this morning, they can understand it. But yet it's so in-depth and complex that the greatest theologian who's ever been born has never been able to get to the absolute bottom of it. What is God's plan of salvation? What is the gospel? It's very simple. That God's son, his only son, would take off his crown and he would step down off of the throne of glory to come and be born to a little virgin girl named Mary in the tiny little town of Bethlehem. He would live the uh, majority of his life in absolute poverty. The first 30 years, he lived in complete obscurity. Nobody knew who he was. He was just simply in his father's shop learning his trade of being a carpenter. And then at the age of 30, he lays down his hammer and he lays down his saw and he turns his face toward Jerusalem, knowing that there is a cross that is waiting for him. And he begins that march to the cross. Over the next three and a half years, he would spend time teaching his disciples how to carry forward that gospel message once he was gone. And then at the age of 33 and a half, they would crucify this man. They would hang him on a cross There he would die vicariously. Some people say, what's vicariously? Let me tell you. Jesus died for someone else. He died for sins that he didn't commit. You see, Jesus died as my sins. And Jesus died as your sins. The Bible says that God made him who knew no sin to be our sin. He didn't die as a sinner, but he died as our sin. You remember the story of the night before he was carried for trial and crucifixion. How he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and the Bible says he was praying, and he was praying until his sweat became as great drops of blood. Can you imagine praying with that kind of intensity and that kind of fervency to be pouring your heart out to God? And this is what he was saying. Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. You ever stop to consider what that cup was? You see, that cup that Jesus was talking about is very important. It's kind of part of the story that we forget about sometimes. But it's part of the story that's very relevant to you and I. Because let me tell you what was in that cup. That cup that he wanted to pass from him contained all of my sins. All of those things I've ever done that I'm ashamed of. All of those things that are very embarrassing. All of those things that I wouldn't want many of you guys to know about. They were in that cup. But not just mine. Yours also. Your sins were in that cup. And not just your sins. All of the people in in this church and all of the people in this county and state and nation and world. All of our sins were in that one cup. But not just our sins. All of the sins of the people who lived before us. Hitler's sins were in that cup. People like Jeffrey Dahmer, the, the, the savage, his sins were in that cup. Karl Marx's sins were in that cup. But not just them, but all of the people of, of all past history and all present and all future. Everyone's sins were in that cup, and that's the cup that Jesus had to drink from. He became our sins there on the cross, and that is the gospel message. But that's not the entirety of it, right? 
if that were the entirety of it, we wouldn't be any different than any of, of, of the major religions in the world. You see, Christianity is different not because our Savior died for our sins. But Christianity is different because our Savior lives after dying for our sins. <laughs> Did you know that every year over 2 million people travel to the uh, place where they spread the ashes of Gautama uh, Buddha? Gautama Buddha, I think I got that right. And you know why they go? They know that's where his ashes are. They know he died. He was cremated. They go hoping to get some kind of special insight into their religion and their faith. That they could grow more. Over 12 million people every year go to Medina, Saudi Arabia, so that they can see the burial place, the place where his body is, where Muhammad's body is. They go to pay tribute to the place where his body was laid and is still at. But did you know that every year millions of people go to the city of Jerusalem and they go on tours? And they carry him around and they say, we think this is the place where Jesus was buried, but we're not real sure. And you know why we're not real sure? It's because there's no body there anymore. There's no DNA there. You know why? Because he lives, he lives. Christ Jesus lives today. How do you know he lives? Well, like the rest of the song says. The song says it all, doesn't it? Because he walks with me and talks with me along life's way. You know how I know he's alive? Because I've talked to him today. I talked to him this morning before 8.30. I talked a lot to him before the 8.30 service. And I've talked to him between these two services. Jesus is alive. That's why Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you, for 2,000 years, Satan has been trying to destroy that message. He's been trying to eradicate it from the face of the earth. But you can't destroy it. You can't feed it to the lions because he'll make the lions lay down and use their mane as a pillow. You can't take it that message and, and burn it because he'll just walk through the flames and come out the other side and not even smell like smoke. You can't drown it because he'll turn the waterway into a highway and you can't even bury it because he'll just clean out the tomb and make it a great place to wait for the resurrection. He'll do those things. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul says, I am not ashamed of it. Let me tell you why. Not just because of the personal persuasion, not just because of the powerful force, but also because of the phenomenal change. Listen to what he says. It is the power of God unto salvation. Did you hear that? It is the power of God unto salvation. There are a lot of things that will change your life. I shared with them early this morning. One of the most transformative moments of my life took place when I was five years old. You guys know what it was? I started school. It was horrible. I was blessed. I, I was raised in one of these homes where my mom didn't work and she stayed home with me. I was the youngest uh, of three children. And uh, one of my sisters got married early in my life. She was a good bit older than me, and she was gone, and all I had left was uh, the one that gave me such a hard time all the time. But uh, maybe I was a little spoiled. You know, I don't, I'm not sure about that. Uh, but I, I remember the first day of school. I went to a place where the building scared me to death. It, it was huge, I thought. I, it, I mean, it just terrified me. My mom took me to a room that smelled funny. And left me with a lady that I had never met before and just flat out did not like from the first moment I laid eyes on her. And let me tell you the worst part. There were kids in that room that just did not believe that Tony Cargo ought to always have his way. <laughs> it was terrible. I was absolutely devastated by that moment in life. Then other things come along. It changed my life. Uh, met my wife. That changed my life. We got married. That changed my life. And then the big change. Y'all know what it is, right? 
kids. We were, uh, we were in uh, Pigeon Forge uh, a couple of weeks ago and stayed in a little house up there, and they had a sign on the refrigerator. It said, having kids is like being pecked to death by a chicken. <laughs> I'm not saying it's true. I'm just saying that that's what they said. Many things are going to change your life. I look at these young adults over here, these youth and the children. They're going to go through a lot of changes. But there's nothing that will change your life like having that relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. It is life changing and it is an eternal life change. I used to have a pastor who said it this way. When a seeking sinner meets a seeking Savior, that seeking sinner is saved instantaneously. I called him and I said, hey, can I use that? And he said, sure. I said, can I improve on it? He said, I doubt it. But I think I have just a little bit. When a seeking Savior meets a seeking sinner, that seeking sinner is saved instantaneously and eternally. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation unto all who would believe. Now, let me tell you what Paul's not talking about. Paul isn't talking about some kind of religion. He knew about religion. He had experienced religion. He had dedicated much of his life to religion. And he understood the pain and hardship that went with it. He understood the devastation, the fears, the doubt, the hatred, the anxiety that came with religion. Listen to me very carefully. If you think going to church, simply going to church week in and week out, is going to make a definite change in your life for the better, you're wrong. It's not about just going to church. It's about having a relationship. It is about knowing Christ personally. It's about not just knowing him here, which you can get in church. It's about knowing him right here, which you can only get at the foot of the cross. You have to know Christ from the inside out. Listen to me. Religion is a dead-end road. Did you hear me? Religion is a dead-end road. There are 71,000 recognized religions in the world right now. People are inherently religious. We want to we worship something. We want to worship a book. We want to worship a building. We want to worship a person. There's a tribe in New Guinea that worships a rock. 42 years ago, it was a meteorite that crashed on the outside of their village. For 42 years, their tribal leader's been going to that rock every day. He's been praying. He cuts himself. They practice self-mutilation. They even practice uh, human sacrifice. It hadn't changed their village one little bit. Listen, what people need is not some rock of, a rock from space. What they need is the rock of ages. People don't need some newfound religion. What they need is a newfound righteousness that can only be found in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation unto all those who would believe. That's why Paul would say it this way in Galatians 6 and 14. God forbid. That's what he actually said. God forbid that I should glory in anything except the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. I have a story that I've been sharing for a long time. And uh, I'm not sure it's a story that my family really likes, but it's a true story and it makes a great point. When we're talking about not being ashamed, not being ashamed of the gospel, the God of this city, the one who will break the chains. We were up in North Carolina several years ago, and uh, I'd gone up to talk to the church about some different things, and we decided to travel over from this place in North Carolina to Asheville. Now, all the territory in between, actually where this church was located, and between there and Asheville, I mean, it was very rural, extremely rural. It was so rural, I don't even think they had a Dollar General in that place. And you know what that means. I mean, you ain't got a Dollar General, you ain't got anything. So um, we're traveling along, and 
I, I'm one who likes to eat, if you didn't know that. Uh, you can lie to me and tell me you think I look slim and trim, but I like to eat. And uh, we're going along, and I get hungry, so we're looking for a place to stop. And I finally find this little convenience store in this community. And in this community, there is nothing but cow pastures and cornfields. That's it for miles, cow pastures and cornfields. I find this little mom-and-pop convenience store, and I mean it is a mom-and-pop convenience store. It's not a kangaroo or a QT or anything like that. It's a little hole in the ground. So I go inside to pick up a few things, and I'm standing in line, and there's this young guy in front of me, probably 16, maybe 17, possibly 18 years old. And uh, he's standing there in front of me, and you know how you kind of feel when people are looking at you? I assume this, this young guy knew that I was looking at him. He could just tell. And the reason I was looking at him was because he was, uh, let's see, how did I say this? He, he didn't want people to think that he was from Cornfield, North Carolina. He wanted them to think that he was off the streets of Atlanta or New York or Chicago, somewhere like that. And I knew that because of the mannerisms, the way he was dressed, the way he was talking, and all these kind of things. And I'm standing there, and I'm looking at him, just minding my own business with my Coke and chips and all that good stuff in my hand. And he turns around and looks at me, and he does this little hand sign. And I, I, I can't repeat it. Some kids have shown me probably what it was. But he looks at me, and he goes, West Side. And I'm thinking, West Side of what? The grain silo out back? I mean, really? So my immediate response to him, I do this without thinking. I put up both my fingers, and I go, Cornfield. I'm glad he didn't have a gun. <laughs> I tell that story to say this. In an age where people are trying to be a lot of things that they're not, stop it. People don't need to try to be something that they're not. You don't try, need to try to be something that you're not. Churches don't need to be try to, try to be something that they're not either. I know there are church growth people out there, experts who will say, look, if you want to grow a church, if you want to grow a congregation, if you want to draw people in, don't talk about things like sin and don't mention judgment and don't mention hell and whatever you do, don't mention repentance and don't mention the blood. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you it is time for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ to stand up and say exactly what we are, to say that we are the blood-bought body of Christ who is not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ or the because... Porky Pig will get that out in a second. Because it is the power of God unto salvation unto all who may believe. The gospel of Christ. It will change your life. This morning, you might be here and you might say, Tony, I don't understand anything about this gospel because I have never experienced this gospel that you're talking about. We're about to give an invitation and I want you to know, if you need a change, that this is a great place to begin. Right here. You know that God's speaking to your heart. And he's saying, look, you need, you need to come into this relationship. You need to know Christ. You need to make that change. Well, today's the time. The Bible says that today's the day of salvation. Now's the appointed time. God didn't bring you here by accident. He brought you here on purpose because he wants you to know Christ as your personal Savior. And, and then on the other hand, maybe you're here and you're one of those people who have believed for years and years, but yet you're in a struggle spiritually. You're fighting battles that you know you can't win on your own. You have witnessing opportunities where you're just not sharing the gospel. Why? Well, Tony, I'm not ashamed of it. Of course you're not in the church. What about on the job? What about in school? 
Are you on Monday what you profess to be on Sunday? I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's what I want you to do this morning. I want you to make a commitment right now. A commitment to simply listen to God's Holy Spirit as He speaks to your heart. You see, I don't think anyone's here by coincidence or accident. I, I think you're all here because of a plan, a plan in eternity. God brought you here on purpose today because He didn't want you to be ashamed of the gospel. And whatever God's Spirit is leading you to do during this time of invitation, Eric, would you come on up? During this time of invitation, I want you to just step out. Just come forward. Come, come share with Eric. Give him your hand. Ask him to pray with you. Listen. Listen. You hear that? That's God's voice speaking to your heart. 